Good morning. It's good to see all who are here. We have a lot of, of uh, young children here this morning as well, so I'm looking forward to the competition. So anyway, I really appreciate their, their full-throated singing. and It's wonderful to hear children uh, singing in the audience. It really is. And, uh, and just as parents are proud to hear their children sing, so is everyone else. And um, that's great. It's good to see all those who are here this morning. Uh, this morning, um, for the last couple months, I've been thinking about different lessons that are foundational, things that are just essential and that sometimes we need to resurrect because they are so foundational. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about racism. Racism is something, it's a word that's not found in the scriptures. You might be surprised at that, but it's, a, it's even a concept that's not really found in many places in the scriptures. But I think we need to talk about it and have a, an answer or be able to give an answer for the truth that lies within us. We need to be able to give people a response uh, for history and the way sometimes ha uh, people have behaved and the doctrines that come from men sometimes. It's really amazing what all can happen. If you, will ha if you have your scriptures, I really want to open with two passages of scripture this morning. One is Acts, the 17th chapter. In Acts 17 and verse 26 through 29, we, found, we find here Paul's sermon to the Athenians. And he is telling these people in Athens about the nature of God. He said, I see all of your idols. I see all of these gods all around. Obvious this place is very religious and has a lot of concern about uh, their worldview and how God fits into this worldview. And as he begins to speak upon that occasion, he talks about the nature of God. In other words, he talks about the things that they should or he has in common with his audience. He says, God, notice in, in verse 26 of Acts 17, God has made from one man, that is one person, Adam and Eve, if you will, mankind, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwelling. And as I begin to study that, that verse, <laughs> it has some interesting concepts within it. It's not saying that God, uh, it's not saying that God put natural boundaries into place to keep people and nations in certain areas. Now that is true, especially if you look at the European continent, we find the Alps have divided a lot of different countries. And on one side of the mountains, people speak a certain language. And on the other side of the mountains, they speak another kind of language. And the same is true with continents, that people have different languages and different things that go on. But basically what he's saying here, the emphasis in this passage, according to Hebrew writers, is the fact that God is the one that put the nations on the earth. He's not talking necessarily about the boundaries. He's talking about, he's talking about how God created them and, and put them all over the world so that they should seek the Lord, verse 27. See, he goes on and he talks about the nature of humans, about us. And he says that they may seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from anyone, uh, each and every one of us. For in him we live, move, and have our very being. You know, great thinkers throughout history, especially those who even wrote our Constitution, 
have recognized that we have been endued by our creator with certain abilities and certain motives in our lives. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is that which is common amongst us. And that is basically what Paul is saying here. He says, in him we live, move, and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, he quotes human poets. And he says, for we are also his offspring. In other words, we are all come from God. God is the originator of all humans. It says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art and man's devising. Okay, now he's talking about idolatry. And he's going to go ahead to talk about the true nature of God and how that God is not an idol. God cannot be divided into all of these little sections. There's a God of the night and of the day and of vegetables and of fruit and different kinds of different gods for all the different kinds of things. He says that's not God. God is not made. God's nature is not like that. Well, Paul's all-encompassing statement here to the Athenians is a gigantic worldview that we as Christians all share, that God is the source of all, that we are all from the divine, that God has created us in his image, and such the book of Genesis says. But you know what? Racism, whenever it comes, their people are obvious, people are aware that we have different colors and different uh, uh, conversations, we have different languages, and so we like to put things into categories. We like to split them or divide them up. But I want you to know it doesn't come from God. God, when Paul talked to the Athenians, he said, listen, God's the source of everything. He is the one who made us all and put us all here. And he says, that's a, something that we have in common or something that we share in unity. Well, now this is a bunch of Labradors. Uh, people will tell you that each of these different uh, uh, colors of Labradors have different kinds of traits. But in reality, they're all just dingy Labradors, uh, so to speak. We find that there's chocolate and there's vanilla and, you know, I don't know how many flavors you want. But the whole point is, is they're all different kinds. But they, we all know that those are the same dogs. We're not going to say, listen very carefully. We're not going to say some of them have a soul and others don't have a soul. Those are chihuahuas. They don't have a soul. <laughs> no. no, what we're going to say is we're not going to say that. We know that there are different colors, but this doesn't mean they're of a different nature. They're all dogs. And so something happens sometimes with racism. Racism kind of defaults. Uh, kind of com comes to, into a, a dehumanization of certain traits or certain trends here on the earth. And it becomes racism. What we know of as racism. De dehumanization happens whenever we start treating certain individuals or a group of individuals as if they were not human. Now, where did this idea really come from? Believe it or not, it comes from the atheist it comes from uh eugenics it comes from the idea that we're not sure the species of everybody we're not sure when someone transformed from an animal into a human or if some are not there yet that's where we get some of this idea is sometimes we treat people like they're animals and people have always had that distinction but some people 
dehumanize other humans, so to speak. In the original origin of the species, by, by um, oh, what's his name? I can't even think of his name. Notice he says, the, origin of the, the, na- the original name of the book is, The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection of the Preservation and Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Darwin, Charles Darwin. I, I wondered why I forgot his name. But there are some people who wonder whether all the different races, some of them have developed to where they can be civilized and others are uncivilized. And even within the last hundred years or so, we find these kinds of discussions going on amongst people on the earth. That's a form of racism, but it's not, it's not unique to us. It goes back a long, long ways. It goes back to the hatred of different kinds of races in the, in the scriptures. We're going to talk about that. But basically, I want to say, this is the basic issue is right here. Are all men men? Do all men have a soul? All men and women? Or do we share this in common? Or are we going to make some or treat some like animals? Well, let's use some terminology. Let's talk about term. Even though we don't use, the Bible doesn't use the word uh, racism in the scriptures. It does talk about discrimination. It does talk about some of this kind of, th- this kind of behavior. In fact, notice in the New Testament, if you have your New Testaments, in Galatians chapter 2. And by the way, start taking notes here because we're going to talk about a lot of different passages this morning. In Galatians, the second chapter. We find that because of the religious differences between Christianity and Judaism, there were some who said, because there's no difference, we're going to bind circumcision. Some parts of the law, we're going to bind it on people, and others were not going to bind it on people. Now, where did this kind of attitude come from? Well, you go go back to, to Abraham and you say, well, the distinction was circumcision, and that's, a well, that was way after God first chose Adam. In fact, that book, that's it noted in the book of Romans how that he was justified before he was circumcised. So this Jewish Gentile kind of nature, God picked Abraham while he was still the Gentile, so to speak. And he had that kind of recognition as being a good man, a man who would serve him with his whole heart, a man of faith, a man who did what was right because he knew that idols were wrong. But notice He says here about this false doctrine, verse 4, Galatians chapter 2, but it was because of false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked to spy out our liberty where we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. He's saying, listen, there's some people here that have come in and they've spied it out and they want to bind the Jewish law on people to, to whom the law was not even given. They want us to bring us under subjection once again to that law. But verse 5, but we did not yield to them for even an hour that the truth of the gospel should remain with you. But those who are of high reputation, what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Interesting. The New American Standard deals with the idea of discrimination and, if you will, uh, this discrimination between people right here in this very passage. He says, it doesn't make any difference to me. God shows no partiality, verse 6. We are those who are of reputation, contributed nothing to me, 
But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me to the Gentiles and recognized the grace that had been given to uh, give, gave James and Cephas and John, who are of reputation to be pillars, gave to me Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. He basically is saying here, listen, there was a time whenever we had peace and we had unity and everybody was on the same page. He said, we understood that God had sent these guys over to evangelize the Jews and some of us had been sent to the Gentiles. But we were at peace. We were at harmony. We were all at one. But notice, they ask us only to remember the poor. This we eagerly do. But notice verse 11. Notice verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? Notice, for prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw himself and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result being that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compelled the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Oh, what? Now that is discrimination. And it's written for us and it happened even in the church, the first century of the church. Was it approved of God? Not at all. Paul says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. He was wrong. And he was corrected upon this occasion because he wasn't behaving correctly. Now, some people are fine with, you know, yeah, I believe every God, you know, saves everybody unless they come to my church, unless they come to my congregation, and then I have a problem. I tell them to go have their own congregation. Now, in my lifetime, I've heard that. There's a certain part of the country that I don't hold meetings in very often because people know who I am and what I believe. But this, we need to withstand to their face the, the truth of what the gospel has to say about discrimination sometimes. And that's happened right there, right there in the gospel. Right there. He says, God had the answer and you messed it up, Peter. You withdrew yourselves. You caused a problem between these different nations. And such is not to be. Well, I want us to be aware of some things as we continue on. Not only do we use the idea of discrimination as being wrong, for God is not a respecter of persons, as the King James says. God does not discriminate. God doesn't have that kind of judgment. God looks upon the heart. We find that in the scriptures. We're going to notice that just a little bit about the David, King David. But anyway, stereotyping happens between us. Stereotyping is a, is a name that we're, a concept that we're familiar with. It's where it's, it, it's too simple of a judgment and therefore distorts the image of a group, dictator.com says. That's what stereotyping means. In other words, you make something so simple that it becomes uh, almost exaggerated, an exaggerated point. 
uh, stereotyping. All um, Irish people have red hair. All uh, certain people have big noses. All other people are short. All other people are tall, you know, different kinds of things. It's funny how in Africa you can have all the tall ones and all the short ones on the same, <laughs> you know. But the whole point is, is we like to dis make distinctions among ourselves. There's the people who, you know, can have facial hair and people who don't have facial hair, men and women. So the whole point I'm getting at is, what are we, what are we going to do here? Are we going to talk about all of these things and divide everybody up into different classes of cuteness or, or ugliness or height? or How are we going to differentiate between all of these people? We're not. And that's what we need to talk about here. How in Christ, Christ, as the book of Galatians says, broke down the middle wall of partition, so making peace. There's something unique about the worldview of Christianity. God is our Father, and we're all His children. And there's to be no distinctions other than that. It's a lazy way of lumping together all those who come from a certain class or race, and so we begin stereotyping people. Statements which attempt by, to characterize the group of people by saying all such and such are either inferior to us in certain ways or, uh, you know, whatever, which leads then to prejudice. An unfavorable opinion or feeling formed beforehand or without knowledge, thought, or reason. Whenever we have prejudice, we prejudge people to have certain character rather because of their uh, skin color or height or width or depth or whatever you want to use to try to say that. When we start making these distinctions amongst ourselves, the Bible says we commit sin. Whether it has to do with economics, rich and poor, whether it has to do with genetics, male or female, we find that in Christ Jesus we're all one. And he's not supposed to, we're not supposed to be using stereotypes to talk about whether somebody should be followed, respected, or anything else. That prejudice that comes, that unfavorable opinion, prejudice comes from a closed mind without any desire or effort put forth to learn the facts. In other words, we need to learn the facts about a certain person. Whenever I was young, and I'm going to date myself here, I'm old, I listened to Martin Luther King. And his, his speech about the mountaintop has still, it, it causes emotion with it. He talked about one day whenever he sees that a person will be judged on the nature of his character rather than the color of his skin. And I just applauded. It was just amazing. Yes, he saw that day. They killed him for it. The whole point I'm getting at is this is God's perspective. When we look at each other with God's eyes, what do we see? We don't see their outer characteristics, their stature, their ugliness or cuteness. To the chagrin of some young men, you know, and women. God looks at the heart. He looks somewhere else. Well, where did the nations come from? Let's just go on. Where did the nations come from? 
And I'm glad we have so many young people here today. Let's talk about this for just a little bit. This is a picture of a, of a real place that doesn't show up well. I got it too pixelated. Sorry about that. Gotta have to get a better picture. This is the, what's the foundations of Babylon, the, the Tower of Babel. You can see it today in the Middle East, in the, in the valley. Uh, where it is, it costs you a lot of money to get there, but nonetheless, you can see it, the Tower of Babel. Something happened at the Tower of Babel. We find the languages were confused. Now, there's all kinds of languages and dialects and, and uh, uh, accents within our language. I made Reba, fun of Reba a long time because she came from Texas. And when we got married, I said, Reba, Reba, my mom wants to hear you count to 10. And she'd go, one, two, three, four, five. And I'd say, what was that five again? Oh, was that five or was it five? And she goes, it was five. <coughs> she still hates that to this day. If I ask her, what was that? Yeah, five. Anyway, the whole point is we have different accents and different things. And whenever it talks about languages, but there are common things. People who study, it's like, nobody ever studied this? Yes, we've studied this. There are about a hundred, over a hundred different languages, but there's, there's gobs and gobs of dialects and, and little intricate things. But the, you kind of, you know, when you boil it down, there's really not that much distinction between these. But yet, at the Tower of Babel, they all spoke one language, didn't they? In Genesis chapter 11, if you have your Old Testament, Please turn to Genesis chapter 11. We're just going to look at a few passages here in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Notice what it says. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. There you go. Now when was this? Well, this was just after, after the flood, Genesis 9 and 1. But notice what it says here happened. After the flood, we find that, you know, we're all one in, in, in Adam and Eve, as Romans argues. But then the world got big, and then God had to flush the world with the flood. And, and uh, we got all of these, the, the children of, 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 of Noah, and it says the world, and they were all one. They weren't spreading out all over the world. So they had, yes, they had, but they hadn't, they, there was a big group of them that hadn't. And here's why. Then <clears throat> they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly and use the bricks for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into, into heaven and let us make ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the old earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and how nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their languages, so they will not understand one another in speech. Now the Lord, they, I, I don't think the Lord did this because he was upset at himself, or, or what he meant. He was upset at man for this idea of, Man was going to become God. 
There is nothing impossible for us. If we all stick together, if we all stay together and have one language, we are going to be able to build this into heaven. The Hebrew is really interesting here. And the New American Standard captures that uniqueness by saying, not unto heaven, but into heaven. In other words, they were literally going to go have war with God and take over heaven, become gods themselves. It was the idea that we are God of the world and of the cosmos, of everything we see. We're going to be gods. And God says, that's not healthy for man. That's not healthy. They're going to kill themselves pretty quick. And so he confused their languages. Verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore the name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the languages of the whole earth, and from there, from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. If you want to know wherever all the races came from and all over the earth, it's because of that. Now, did they all come from the same source? Does, does our studies, does our language studies and, and studies about history, does it confirm this idea? Yes. The land where they had settled was in that uh, Middle Eastern area of Mesopotamia that, the, that we talk about among the Jews. And they were there in that, in that area. Now, those who are genetic the studies said, well, some, maybe it's a little bit lower into northern Africa. And others say, no, it was in the Middle East, more over near Babylon. The fact of the matter is, is where uh, uh, Eden was, was between the Euphrates River. It's the Middle East. And a lot of science says, yeah, that's probably where all of humanity really came from, from there. And notice after the flood, they're still there. And notice what happens. They're, they're building. They're going to become God. And God says, no. And scatters them over the face of the whole earth. Is there a genetic link between all of us on the earth? Oh, yeah, thankfully, during our generation, we find the double helix. We have people who have discovered all this thing, started tracing things down. And they find out that even the American Indians, that they were in a different continent but they have Asian connections. They came over the land bridge that was up north. And what about the people in Australia? Yeah, they have connections too. What about all of the other people in the world? We all have connections. It all is amazingly. We're all of one people, all of mankind. We all came from the same place. And then we were scattered over the face of the earth. That's where all of the things came from. Well, wait a minute. Don't we have different colored people in different places? We obviously have different languages. Why, where do we get the different colors and the different genetic uh, predispositions, so to speak? That comes from who you marry, you know? And whenever you only got so many women and men in a certain area, you pick them to marry with. And so you reinforce certain traits. And we have certain traits amongst us uh, that are unique. One of the things, whenever I was studying for this, it was really funny what I found out about Korea. <laughs> Did you know that Koreans, many Koreans, don't smell very much when they sweat? They, do, they don't. Some of them don't even have sweat glands very much, very many sweat glands. And I thought, you know what? I have never just conscientiously smelled a Korean. Yeah, but there's somebody that does that. More power to you. 
Somebody goes around the world smelling people, I guess. Well, no, they figure that that's a, giant, uh, a genetic difference. There, there's eyes difference, there's facial features, there's baldness, all of these different things. As I point to myself, there's bald. The, the whole point is we each have different things. And that becomes whenever we marry somebody that has those genetic predispositions, we often develop those predispositions in a certain area. But does God say there are some people that have different physical characteristics that are evidence of not having a soul? No. We know that all men everywhere have a soul. I do not believe it is without notice that in Acts the 8th chapter, verse 26 through 40, the Ethiopian eunuch is one of the first converts mentioned in the scriptures. Now, don't tell me Ethiopians don't have a soul. Whenever God and the Holy Spirit picked an Ethiopian to write an entire chapter almost about and his conversion. That's doctrine. That's Bible. You have the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, I'm not going to talk about eunuchs, but I'm going to talk about Ethiopians for a minute. The church historically in northern Africa was huge. It was big. It was a place where Christianity took foothold in the world. And how people can develop a doctrine, I heard whenever I was a young man, someone in, in, a, in a place tell me that black people don't have a soul. And I said, you, are you serious that somebody actually believes that? And they said, yes. That's ridiculous, my friend. The Holy Spirit took care of anybody that would even kind of come up with that idea by putting the Ethiopian eunuch in the scriptures and saying he was worthy of salvation and God spent the time to send somebody there to have him hear the truth and to obey the gospel and to spread Christianity in that country. Jesus even suffered from racism. In John 1, verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Where did that come from? We say, Can anything good come out of fill in the blank? That is wrong thinking. This is obviously prejudiced. This is obviously stereotyping in the scriptures. And God condemns it. In John 1, verse 46, Can anything good? Philip said, come and see. <laughs> this, guy, this guy's the Messiah. The Messiah came out of Nazareth, which wasn't a good place to come from, evidently. Because back then, they stereotypically said people from Nazareth weren't worthy of respect. But Philip said, come and see. You've got to see this person. You've got to see and hear what he says and see what he does and how he is indeed the Messiah. In John 4 and verse 9, therefore the Samaritan woman. Now, who were Samaritans? Samaritans were Jewish people that had intermarried with the people around them, the other Gentiles, and were considered by the pure race of Jews, <coughs> the Hebrew of Hebrews, if you will, 
they were considered half-breeds and to be disrespected. And notice, this woman even viewed herself that way. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? In other words, she was aware that there was racism way back then, that there was stereotyping. And she says, How come you're talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You know I'm a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? And of course, Jesus went ahead. He says, Woman, if you would have asked, I could give you living water. You'll never thirst again. He was saying she was worthy of salvation. And she went around and gathered everyone around to understand that Jesus was different than anything else that she had ever heard of, that Jesus was speaking for the mind and the heart of God. Well, what does the Bible directly say about racism? And I'm going to have to get down. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only true and lasting solution to the problem of racism, not some more human uh, concept. In our land, there are, uh, in our uh, country right now, there is another world view that's trying for dominance. And it's, it's trying to split us up into groups by our skin color and by our genetics and by all kinds of, of little things that you can identify or groups identity. It's called identity politics. It's called this idea of where you can separate people uh, by, into two basic groups, oppressor and oppressed. And, and that's what you've got to be worried about is which are you? And it can happen even in homes. Uh, but that's why they think the home has got to go is because as long as the structure of male and female, then the Bible says, you know, because of the re relationship that it's got to be destroyed or at least the Western concept of it, the home needs to be restructured. But notice this. The gospel really does have the problem solved in the way we are to view one another. Christians are to be different from the world, the Bible says. Notice Matthew 5, verse 14, if you're taking notes. <coughs> you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a, a basket. But on a lampstand, lamp it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is a Christian. His deeds are to be authentically offered to all, just like God's was. We're supposed to imitate our Father in that. When Jesus came to the earth, did he come to only parts of the earth? Or did he come for the whole world? John 4 uh, 23 and 24, John, all these other passages that talk about the nature of God. God came to the world, Acts 16. God, all in all of these passages, Jesus came, tasted death for every man. Jesus came to save the world. He names the world, God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son. He named the world as a metonymy, by the way, to suggest its contents, and that's people, us people, to save all those who are in the world. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for all of the humanity that would live on the surface of the planet. For everybody. Everybody. Jesus came for everybody. That Jesus was going to come and bring salvation to all. 
and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Love is the more excellent way. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, but early desire greater gifts, and still I show it to you a more excellent way. This way involves love, agape love. 1 Corinthians 13, they though I have the ability to speak in all kinds of tongues and have not love, it profits me nothing. And then he goes on down and tells us about how love is freely given, how it's selfless. It's given without regard for the loved one's condition. Just like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Samaritan! This is supposed to be an illustration of what? Racism? No, it's an anti-racist story. Here we have a Jew that's caring for a Samaritan and takes care of him. He fell among robbers, and so he takes him and takes care of him, things like that. Jesus consistently taught against this kind of ideology. That's what I'm trying to get at. There isn't any verse that expressly says racism is so sinful, but the stories, the people Jesus talked to, the things Jesus experienced, the way he expressed himself, all tell us God's perspective. And he says, I want you to love one another. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and don't have love, I become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and have all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains and don't have love, I am nothing. That means nothing valuable in the eyes of God. Notice he goes on to say, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and surrender my body to be burned and don't have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. I want to say the primary statement about the nature of God is God is love. Love is the answer. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love, in other words, love doesn't brag about its excellencies. Are there distinctions between different peoples of different nations? Yeah, some are taller, some are shorter, some have this and some have that i thought it was so humorous i was watching a uh, uh a black man preach about racism and he said he said i want you to know that just because you don't have as much melanin as i do i want you to know god loves you just as much and i so appreciated that statement We talk about colors. Let me talk about colors for you. I'm going to get off here. I knew I would. Colors? What kind of colors do we have? Are we green and chartreuse and whatever other colors you want to come up with? Are we have all those things? No. We basically have one color. And we're different shades of brown. Some of us are dark brown and some of us are light brown. Some of us have different spots. My, my brother has uh, a thing that eats, he, he has a, a bacteria that eats all of his melanin. And so his hands, he's got real white spots and then he's got really dark spots because he's out in the sun a lot. And he says, I'm a rainbow. Well, I don't care what your spots are. If you have unique little blemishes that they're wine stains or whatever it might be, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, 
all men underneath that God made of one blood all men you take blood out of a person and that's whenever you find out if they're human or not because blood you can get the blood of all different kinds of colors of people and sometimes you need that blood and it doesn't matter what color the person had that it came from. And so, love does not seek its own, is not easily provoked. Don't let pride about your red hair or your non-red hair, your kinky hair, your long straight hair, your lack of smell, whatever it might be. That's not something that we should use to feel arrogant, does not seek his own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the second is likened unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule. We're supposed to love all our neighbors. That's somebody outside of yourself. The Bible never, never tells you to love yourself. It tells you to love one. It assumes that you do and says you love one another like you love yourself. We know that that's a lot. So he says, I want you to care for one another. Love is the answer. Jesus Christ really did bring peace to mankind. Luke 20 and verse 29, who's my neighbor? But wishing to justify himself, he said to, he, he said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? You see, back then they're still fighting over it. Stereotyping discrimination they want it they like it it makes them proud it makes them arrogant i'm better than you jesus stop it will you just stop it who's my neighbor which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and he said the one who showed mercy to him then jesus said to him go and do the same this is that parable of the good samaritan that we were talking about this is how God wants us to have our worldview. I want you to know, God says, I want you to care about everyone regardless of their genetic family. Everyone is our neighbor. In God's eyes, everyone is deserving of love, including those who have been, we, we have been taught to hate and those who have been taught to hate us. In Matthew 5, but I say to you, love your enemies. Now he gets really specific. I don't know who you consider to be enemies, but whoever they are, here's your command. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them would despitefully use you and persecute you. That's right. You know, in the early church, racism uh, between Jews and Gentiles in the first century, we've already noticed the book, the entire book of, of Galatians. But the hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles is specifically mentioned so clearly in the scriptures that there can be no doubt that all Christians ought to share the same perspective. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know in the early days <coughs> God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe... <clears throat> And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Acts 10, Acts 11. Notice, he's going on in here in Acts 15. It's repeated again. 
Three times. Notice. Just as he did to us. And he made no distinctions between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. There. That's why. That's why there should absolutely be no racism in the Lord's church. Now, there may be racism in some churches, but it should not be in the Lord's church. We should not make those kinds of distinctions amongst ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean because there used to be, I get to claim victim status. No. I'll tell you, whenever it comes to enslavement, every people in the world have been enslaved by somebody who dominated them. Africans took slaves of other Africans whenever they dominated them. In the scriptures, whenever a wars, even look at Goliath, David and Goliath. If we win, then you get to be our slaves. That's the way they did it back then. When a war would go dominate a land, you would take those people as slaves. Everybody practiced slavery back then. God didn't. Jesus Christ came and changed the perspective of everyone in the world. The effect of Jesus Christ on this world is amazing. And people don't give God credit. Notice what Peter says in Acts 10. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every, what? what? Uh, every, verse 35, yeah. Every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcomed to him. That's a significant statement. In Acts 10, verse 35. In every nation, he who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. That's how God designed to bring unity, is for everybody to acknowledge our creator and obey him. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, Hebrews 5 and verse 9. All, everyone, we don't have to question if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, ah, oh, it's individual. This is God's concept. We're not going to be saved as a race. We're not going to be saved as any other group other than the church. Not some human arrangement, not some human category, not some intersectionality identification. God says, each one's work, according to conduct yourself during fear of the time of, during your time of your stay on the earth. Let's look at Romans 1, verse 14. I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. For, notice, for I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God to, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is he trying to say here? He's trying to say, stop looking at these nationalities. Stop looking at races and recognize that from God's perspective, all he wants people to do is obey the gospel. 
and the Lord will add him to the family of God spiritually. For God is a spirit, John 4, 23 and 24, whenever we're made in the image of God. For there's no partiality with God. No partiality. James 2, James 2, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism, New American Standard says. Notice, my brothers, do not show partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, English Standard Version. <coughs> the Bible says no partiality. There's something unique about the Christian mindset. And that is that we're to have no partiality. Now, I'm going to get really, I'm going to get into your business. You ready? Glenn, have you ever married interracially married people? Yes, right here in Oklahoma City. <laughs> is that something that's talked about to God? Is that all right with God? First of all, why are you even asking the question? Do you have to have a pre-check on the race, race of somebody before you can marry them? Make sure they're not Hispanic or some other race or whatever, you know. I don't know. I don't know my children. I don't know. I want to be able to speak their language, so I don't know if I should marry a Spanish person or not. I don't know the thinking of some people. You may be slightly different, or there may be a whole spectrum of difference, and God doesn't care. God doesn't care. Some places you might not be able to say that. That's, a, that's unfortunate. Because during the time of Christ, I think God and the Holy Spirit worked really hard to make sure that never happened. God wants to know if you're headed to the same place, if you have the same father, if you have the same inheritance. Oh, he wants all people to come to know him. But my friends, there is no partiality and we should not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of glory, with partiality. It's not a problem. It's not a problem with God. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord God said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance nor the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For God sees not as man sees. That's a pretty important statement. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God was saying this to Samuel about David. James 2, 9. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and convinced by the laws transgressors. Notice the new King James. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. My friends, it's a sin to have racism in our hearts. It just is. However, you are fulfilling the royal law. According to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, verse 9, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law. That's the preface. That's, just, that, that's the verse just before this verse. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. My friends, the, 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 there's no place for this. The unity of the human race 
And he one, made of one man every nation of mankind to live on the, surf, on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. He made us all into this, into this way. We have overlooked the times of ignorance. God is now declaring that all people everywhere should repent. God wants the whole world to repent, Acts 17.30. He wants everybody to hear the gospel and be saved. That's why we go into the whole world and preach the gospel. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, through that man he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There's the thing. God wants us to go into the whole world. <coughs> Even though Christians are to supposed to accept diversity in culture and race, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to accept diversity in religion and in morality. No, we can still say something is right and something is wrong. But racism is a sin of pride. Race makes no difference to God. Instead of focusing on the differences in the color of our skin, maybe we would all be served to concentrate on our similarities. We are human, made in the image of God, and we're all in need of a Savior. We all have something in common, the image of God. The image of God. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. God made us spiritual. And a spiritual solution is the only solution to the problem of racism. Listen to this passage. I want you to write it down. This is an important, significant passage. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. We're all baptized by one spirit. That word baptized by one spirit or in one spirit or partake of one spirit. It all means that we share in the blessings that come from the one spirit of God. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free... And we were all given the one spirit to drink is a very good translation of this passage. We're all given the one spirit to drink. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. We're all baptized. We're all to form the one body. This is God's desire. This is how God looks at things. Prove it. Revelation, our last verse. Revelation 7, verse 9 through 10. And after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which could not count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.